0: Today, we want to talk about um, the wisdom of God versus our wisdom, and I want to read to you um, a devotional from Oswald Chambers. It's from his devotional, um, My Utmost for His Highest. If you've never read that great devotional, be sure you get it in modern English, not in the King James English, and I'm, I'm not making fun of you, Casey, but, um, but the King James English is kind of hard to read. There is a modern translation, but here's what it said. God seems to have a delightful way of upsetting the plans we have made when we have not taken him into account we get ourselves into circumstances that were not chosen by God and suddenly we realize that we've been making our plans without him that we've not even considered him to be a vital living factor in the planning of our lives and yet the only thing that will keep us from even the possibility of worrying is to bring God in as the greatest factor in all of our planning. In spiritual issues, it is customary for us to put God first, but we tend to think that it is inappropriate and unnecessary to put him first in the practical everyday issues of life. If we have the idea that we have put to put our spiritual face on before we come near to God, then we will never come near to him. We must come as we are. Now, listen to this. Don't plan with a concern for evil in mind. Does God really mean for us to plan without taking the evil around us into account? Well, in 1 Corinthians 13 6, it says, Love thinks no evil. Love is not ignorant of the existence of evil, but it does not take it into account as a factor in planning. When we were apart from God, we did take evil into account, doing all of our planning with it in mind, and we tried to reason out all of our work from evil standpoint. Jesus said this in, in John 14 1 let not your heart be troubled. God will not keep your heart from being troubled. It is a command, let not your heart be troubled. To Continually pick yourself up, even if you fall 101 times a day, until you get into the habit of putting God first and planning with him in mind. So we're talking about the wisdom of God today, and I want to give you this definition of it. The wisdom of God, God brings about the best possible results for the most possible people in the best possible way for the longest possible time. What that means is um, that, that the present circumstance that, circumstances that you are facing were allowed by a good, wise God who is in absolute control of the universe. And if there was a kinder, gentler, um, easier way for you to be molded into the image of Jesus Christ, then you would be experiencing the kinder, gentler, easier circumstances of life. So, when we're talking about wisdom, we're not talking about IQ or street smarts. Wisdom comes from two root words that has the idea of see and know. Wisdom is understanding how God created life to work and cooperating with God so that he brings the greatest amount of good in your relationships, in your job, in your marriage, even in your singleness, The wise people you go to for advice have two things in common. They see some things that you just don't seem to see and they know the word of God better than you do or at least they can apply the word of God to your current circumstances because they're outside, their feelings aren't all intertwined in making the decision. They see and know the word of God enough to give you some good advice where you can make wise decisions. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we can even have through the power of the Holy Spirit the mind of Christ. So if I were to ask you today how of you needs wisdom probably everybody would raise their hand you get that by going to god now if wisdom is to see and know then the wisest of all is the one who can see and know everything from beginning to end who's the only person you the only being you've ever heard of who sees and knows everything from beginning to end god god sees and knows check this out all things actual and possible this is big he knows everything actual and possible. What does that mean? Well, Jesus gives us an example of this in, in um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 23. He's in Capernaum, which is his adopted hometown, and that's, this, that's the furthest town north on the Sea of Galilee, right on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. He says this to the people of Capernaum, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, you've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, it would have remained to this day. Jesus doesn't give us any throwaway lines. He he is always teaching us something. You mean, Jesus, you know how people would have responded hundreds of years earlier if the circumstances had been different? Yes. How do you know that? Well, he's God. It's the wisdom of God. He knows all things actual and possible. And when Paul was thinking about the wisdom of God, he has some crazy words in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. He says, oh, the depths and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable. I want you to say the word unsearchable. I want you to say it again. Unsearchable. How unsearchable are his judgments and his past beyond tracing or finding out. What if what you are experiencing is exactly what a wise God wants you to experience right now? It's part of his plan. Now, I'm not saying if you're openly living in sin in Galatians chapter five, Paul gives us a list of sins. He says things like if you're gossiping, if you have um, anger outbursts, if you're bitter, if you have rage, malice, slander, drunkenness, orgies, sexual immorality, if you're going in those things, you don't have the wisdom of God because you're chasing those things. But he says the opposite of that is the the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against those things, there's no law. If you do those things and are pursuing those things, the wisdom of God is there for you. So what I'm saying is, if you, as far as you know, you're following God. What if, what if the circumstances that are happening in your life are exactly where God has you, because He wants to make you look more like His Son? Would if if that were true? If the experiences you're you're going through right now, your circumstances, were designed by a wise God to make you look more like Jesus, what would that do for your attitude? Would it be better or worse? What would it do for your anxiety? Would you have more or less? Less, yes. According to Proverbs, we'll get to this in a minute, wisdom is rooted in in fearing and obeying the word of God. Now, we said his wisdom is unsearchable, which means you can try to figure out God all you want to, and you're going to be frustrated. You'll never be satisfied. Why? Because our wisdom is contained in this little bitty thimble compared to God's wisdom. I'm 54 years old. All of my wisdom is contained in this little thimble compared to God's wisdom. I'm willing to bet all of my Money, which isn't a whole lot. But I'm willing to bet that all of your wisdom would fit in this little thimble as well. I'm even willing to say that all the wisdom of every person in here who is watching online right now will fit into this thimble compared to the wisdom of God. Let's go a step further. I'm willing to say that all the wisdom of every person who's ever lived or ever will live can fit in this thimble when you compare your wisdom to the wisdom of God. Because God's wisdom is like the ocean. Or even better, God's wisdom is like space. How often do we go out and get some of God's wisdom before we make decisions? Instead, we trust in our own wisdom. You keep your wisdom, God. I'm gonna listen to Doug, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen to Dennis, or I'm gonna listen to Carlene, and, and all of our wisdom is gonna be enough for this life, God. Y'all are laughing. Why are y'all laughing? Listen to this. This is uh, A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy Most of us go through life praying a little, planning a little, jockeying for position, hoping but never being quite certain of anything, and always secretly afraid that we will miss the way. This is a tragic waste of truth and never gives rest to the heart. There is a better way. It is to repudiate our little wisdom and take instead the infinite ocean space-like wisdom of God. Our insistence upon seeing ahead is natural enough, but it is a real hindrance to our spiritual progress. Look at this. God has charged himself with full responsibility for our eternal happiness, not not this happiness, not temporary happiness. He's never promised that. Our eternal happiness, and look at this, and stands ready to take over the management of our lives the moment we get rid of our wisdom and scoop up some of his wisdom. So the wisdom of God is unsearchable. Let me explain it like this suppose there's a man who has a job as a railroad operator. What I mean by that is he's the guy who has to switch the tracks. Now this is back in the day before there were computers and all of those types of things. And so he would sit in his little hut and he would listen for and watch for the trains. He might get a little signal that would cause him to switch the tracks so that this train would go over here, this train would go over here and everybody would be safe. The railroad depended on him to keep them safe. Well, he lives up on the hill and one day he sees his five-year-old son running down the hill. He loves to come see dad while he's working and he waves at down and he gets distracted and he trips over the the railroad tracks and he gets his foot lodged in the track just as father gets the signal and he hears and he sees a speeding train coming right for his son. He has no opportunity to go rescue his son. He has a decision to make. And my question to you is what is the wise thing to do? He can shift the tracks, which will probably kill all 500 people on board the train, or he can let the train run over his son and the 500 people will live. What is the wise thing to do? I did not ask, what would you do? I did not ask, what would you do if it were your son? I said, what is the wise thing to do? Because remember, the wisest thing um, has to do with the best possible results for the most possible people for for the longest period of time. If we were to discuss this tonight in my small group, especially if it wasn't your son, you might decide, hey, the best thing to do is let the boy die and 500 people live. But is that the wise thing to do? 500 people versus one. What if the little boy is the next Billy Graham and those 500 people dying would allow millions of people to experience eternity in heaven? What is the wise thing to do? What if the boy was going to find a cure to cancer or HIV or whatever? We don't know. What if the next Billy Graham were on the train and the the wisest thing to do would be to let the little boy die? What is the wise thing to do? What if, what if, what if, what if? The only one who knows what to do in the father's situation is the one who knows the hearts of all people, who knows all things possible and actual, and that is God. God. See, our lives, our lives are like rocks that you drop into a pond and the little ripple effects go out and you don't know where all those ripples are going to go. Many years ago, I chose to go to Baylor and and I dropped that, that rock in, and then I became a youth minister, and that was another ripple that came out. And then, without my knowing, Janie's mom made her go to youth camp. Janie did not want to go to youth camp. Janie's mom made her go to youth camp. She dropped that little rock in the pond. And this little ripple came over, and it ran into a ripple named Doug Washburn. And I went, hey, she's cute, but she's jailbait. And so... We kind of flirted a little bit, but she was jailbait. And so then I should have, I'll I'll give you a picture of this. She sent me a picture when she graduated from high school. And that's when I was done. I was like, hey, I want that by my side. I was deep. I was deep back then. And so all of these ripples, what I'm saying is you don't know when you, when you drop the rock and you don't know where your ripples were going to go in 2002, one of the ripples of our lives was starting this church and and the ripples have gone out through generations. It's going to impact our children, their, their children. And we don't even know how many ripples there are out there. The only one who knows is the wise God of the universe. See, controlling his creation is the God like simple math. If you can do two plus two equals four, the time it takes you to do that, that's the time for God to recognize all possibilities of all people, all motives, and where they're going to go, actual and possible. That's the wisdom of God. Do you remember um, when, when God responded to Job, if you've ever read that? Job was whining and complaining, life's not fair, life's not fair. Eventually, after 37 chapters, God shows up. And all of a sudden, he doesn't defend himself. What he does is he shows Job, you know nothing about my ways. And Job goes, I think I'm going to shut up now. See, what Job needed was not explanations, which is what his friends gave him for 37 chapters. What Job needed was a display of God's majesty. And when he saw God's majesty, all of a sudden, he was very susceptible to God's wisdom. And I'm willing to say today, if you're not pursuing God's wisdom, it's because you hadn't seen his majesty. Because when you do, you'll say, God, fill me up with your wisdom, not mine. Now, let's let's figure out how God displays his wisdom to us. First way is through creation. Creation actually, God's creation talks to us, but are we listening? He says this in, in Psalm 19, 1 through 7. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other end. Nothing is deprived of its worth. Creation is amazing. If you took just the earth and you were to tilt it off the axis where it is one portion of one degree, some people would freeze to death and some people would burn to death. The wisdom of God said, this is the tilt of the axis of the earth that is required for human lives, not only to survive, but to thrive. And the wisdom of God, he created it that way. And whether you take a telescope and look at the stars, whether you take a microscope and look at little things that the naked eye can't see, whether you look at the human body, I have several friends that are doctors, and they said, the amazing thing about the human body is they're all the same. If you cut this back, and you find, you're going to find this right there. He said, it has to be designed by someone. There's a creator, an intelligent designer. There's too much order in, in everything for there not to be a designer. So let me ask you this. If someone designed the ecosystem, if someone designed you, Do you think he's going to take less creativity in in designing your life than he did the ecosystem that sustains your life? This world was not created forever. You were not the physical body, but your spiritual body. God made you for eternity. So he's got some good plans, some wise plans for your life. Second way God shows his wisdom is through providence. I love his providence. What that means is he orchestrates the things of life to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Psalm thirty-three, ten and 11 says this. "'The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations "'and thwarts all their schemes, "'but the Lord's plans stand firm forever. "'His intentions can never be shaken.'" Two years ago, January two years ago, I decided I was going to study through the Bible, not read through the Bible, I was going to study. I've got commentaries, have a notebook, and I write down on one side, I write all the things that I'm learning, what I read to you earlier, one of the things I wrote down, and then the other page, I start praying, and and so two years ago, I decided to start doing that. And, and I want to keep all these things because it'll help me in future sermons and things like that. Um, and then five months ago, I was at a conference and I heard Chip Ingram speak. He's the guy who wrote the book, The Real God. And, and he said, he said you need to do this in your church. And so Jeff and I started talking about it. And I said, we need to do this. So five months ago, I decided I was going to preach this sermon series to our church. Three months ago, I actually put it on the calendar. And then this past week, um, I'm reading through... Um, the Psalms and and I am re- so on Wednesday I finished typing out my sermon I made all my sermon slides and I put them on the computer I always send Keith my slides and and the the announcements and things like that and so he gets it ready for Facebook and then I always text Christina that that the listening guides are ready so she can come and get them and prepare them so I was finished with all that I get up on Thursday morning and guess what Psalm I'm reading on Thursday morning it's Psalm 33 but I'm not thinking about the sermon that I just wrote yesterday I get to verses 10 and 11 and I went. The Lord frustrates the plan. Wait a minute, God, I just put that in my sermon yesterday. How did you do that? I mean, have you ever had that? How did you do that? And God goes, two plus two is four. He said, you think it's a big deal that I planned that you read Psalm 33 the day after you wrote this? That's nothing compared to what I've done for my people, Israel. Because think about this. All kinds of nations have risen and fallen who said, we're going to dominate the world and we're going to make statues so you always remember us. So the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Nazis, how permanent were they? They're gone. Because God frustrates the plans of people. Contrast that with God's people, right? So God pledged thousands of years ago before, way back with Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your people are going to be like this, the sand on the seashore, the stars in the heaven. And, and then he tells David, you're going to have somebody from your line. Your, one of your descendants is going to be the king forever. And so all of these people rose up, all these different nations attacked Israel. They scattered, Israel was scattered because of persecution. More than one nation attempted to exterminate the entire Jewish race. How successful were they? And where are those countries today? They're no longer in existence. Now imagine if you're a Jew, back when the Romans overran them and they actually destroyed all of the the religious sites in Jerusalem. And for a while, Jews could not live in Jerusalem. They made it a Roman city. And then years later, they started excavating and they found all this stuff. If you go today, you don't see many Roman influences. You see the original Jewish influences. Why? Because God's plans stand firm forever. And if you're a Jew and you've just been run over and they say, you can't even live in your holy city. You say, God, where are you? For for 1948 years, where are you, God? Where are you, God? And what happened in 1948? Israel becomes a nation again because the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. How do you do that? It's the wisdom of God. See, God frustrates the plans of the people, of the nations, but whose plans stand firm? God's. Why? Because he's wise. Third way God shows his wisdom is through redemption. In, in my Bible at home, it's the Ryrie Study Bible, and uh, the heading for this section I'm about to read you says this The misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit's ministry of revealing, and, and he just leaves it like that, so I'm going to say revealing stuff. All right? So he's saying people misunderstand the Holy Spirit, how he reveals things to us, but he's about to tell us. First Corinthians two, starting in verse six, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, not, not mature as in age or, or socially. He's talking about spiritually mature people. So Paul says, we, however, speak a message of wisdom among spiritually mature people, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing like those nations I talked to you about. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, that God destined for our glory before time began. So God, before There were ever people before there was a world, God said, here is the mystery that I'm going to reveal at some future point. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind can conceive, has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us. We get, we get to see the wisdom of God by his Holy Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The mystery he's talking about is redemption. Let me explain redemption. Redemption means literally to buy back. It's it's like if you have a coupon, you have to redeem that coupon before it does you any good. If you have a gift certificate or a gift card, you have to redeem that. You have to, to get the value of it. You have to use it to purchase something. Redemption is the purchase price that God paid through Jesus to pay for your sins and mine but it was this incredible paradox because it looked like a complete failure. Not even three chapters into the Bible, we have something called the fall. What that means is human race, and it's a capital F, human race fell from sinlessness to sinful people. When Adam chose to to eat that fruit that was forbidden, he fell from being sinless, just like God, to being sinful. Not even three chapters into the Bible, it looked like God's plan had failed, but God started before the world ever began. And he said, Jesus Christ is going to be the one who redeems people. And, and you think about this whole rebellion thing and, and just think about God's plan, how, how silly it sounded. So he's going to, Jesus is going to be born at just the right time, born of a teenage girl surrounded by a bunch of animals. He's going to be placed in a feeding trough. The demons had to be thinking, I think they're texting one another. They're in a group text. <laughs> Could, this is God's plan, LOL. And then one other ty- types back and he goes, <laughs> he's going to be raised by a carpenter. They're not really the elite in Jewish society capital LOL, which means laugh out louder. That's my interpretation. And then someone else goes, this is going to be easier than we thought. So part of God's wisdom, he showed it through redemption, but then through his son, fourth is his son. And look what it says here in in 1 Corinthians 1.30. It is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us what? Help me out. He has become for us what? Wisdom from God. And then look, he says that is our righteousness, our holiness, and then this word redemption. Pretty amazing. He grows up, he lives this perfect life, and then he doesn't, exactly pick the Einsteins of the world to be his followers, his immediate 12? He chose a motley crew of fishermen, liars, thieves, a zealot, an outcast, and a couple of wackos. I say wackos because only a wacko would say, hey, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to destroy this nation that's rejecting us? Jesus like, what? That's not the wisdom of God. Why did he choose those guys? The wisdom of God. Because when ordinary people like you and me are purchased back from our sin and our lives are changed and we begin to look like Jesus Christ and we begin to reflect the glory of God to people outside these walls, who gets the glory? Well, it ain't me. It's God. The wisdom of God is here's my plan and when folks follow my plan, other folks follow my plan. The enemy must have thought, okay, we're going to crush him. And Isaiah says, they did. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was bruised for our sins. And their scheme just seemed to work flawlessly. If you read this, it just worked flawlessly. In the Old Testament, the New Testament. And then I think they, L-O-L-E-L. That's laughed out loud even louder. Again, I'm just making stuff up. When Jesus hung on the cross, they laughed out loud even louder, and then they waited until he died so they could dance on his grave. We've won. Can I tell you, that's created thing wisdom. I've been telling you for weeks now, there's two categories of beings. There's the creator by himself. Everything else is created Thinking that they had won, that's created thing, wisdom. In the wisdom of God, it's better for one man to die so that anyone who comes through him can live forever in a place called heaven. So Jesus said, I'll pay the price. For anyone's sins who, who wants it paid, I'll pay the price. And his, his enemies seriously underestimated, underestimated what he meant when on the cross he said, it is is finished. They thought he was finished. But what was finished was redemption. The plan to buy us back was finished. Man, they were wrong. But see, God's foolishness looks like, God's wisdom looks like foolishness to to you and me, to ordinary people. It looked like a failure. But when he died on the cross, he went down to the invisible world and he said, death is finished. Satan is finished. Sin is finished is finished. It's been rendered powerless. And I think the demons were like, dude, you're dead. So what does he do? He rose from the dead to validate everything he just said. And the demons went, oh no, we're done. What seemed completely ridiculous ended up being the wise plan of God. J.I. Packer says this, God's almighty wisdom is always active and never fails. All his works of creation and providence and grace display it. And until we can see it in them, we are just not seeing them straight. Have you ever thought, God, where are you? And I just don't understand your plan. God's working, but we're using our wisdom to try to understand it, not his. But we cannot recognize God's wisdom unless we know the end for which he is working. God's wisdom is not and never was pledged to keep a fallen world happy or to make ungodliness comfortable. Not even to Christians has he promised a trouble-free life, rather the reverse. He has other ends in view for, for our life, for life in this world, than simply to make it easy for everyone. What is he after then? What is his goal? What is his aim? He plans that a great host of mankind should come to love and honor him. His ultimate objective is to bring them to a state in which they please him entirely and praise him adequately, a state in which he is all in all to them. And, and I highlighted this because I just love this. He and they rejoice continually in the knowledge of each other's love. Check this out. Men rejoicing in the saving love of God set upon them from all eternity. He decided before time ever began, and God rejoicing in the responsive love of men drawn out of them by grace through the gospel. This is God's aim. You love him. He loves you. This is the point. And until we grasp God's ultimate purpose for our lives, we are going to be frustrated with life because we're trying to figure things out in our wisdom. And I'm going to be brutally honest with you today. I don't know very many people who say to God, God, whatever you need to do to mold me into the image of your son, do it. What I know is a lot of people who claim to be Christ followers who say, you know, God, your son should really look more like me. Your will should be more like my will. Your wisdom should be more like my wisdom. And then they can't figure out why their lives are so jacked up. Because God doesn't work that way. Why won't you come through, God? God, I thought your number one agenda was to make me happy. No, no. His number one agenda has never been your personal fulfillment. His number one agenda is not to cure your loneliness through another human being. His number one agenda is not to give you a bigger, nicer house or a better car or whatever else the world has out there. God's number one agenda for your life is your redemption. He wants to buy you back from your sins and make you look more like Jesus Christ. And so his wisdom in your life is often bringing unbearable pain into your life because it takes that pain to pry your fingers off of the idols to where you say, not my will, but your will be done. That doesn't happen through prosperity. It happens through pain. God knows that you're trading what is great and eternal and best for something that's temporary and finite. He wants to exchange your wisdom for his wisdom. Well, how does he do that? Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And, and again, in my, in my reading of Psalms, there's two different ways to fear the Lord. One is respect, reverence, awe, God, I don't want to mess up your plan. I don't want to mess up this life you've given me. The other one I, I just read about today was these sinners in the first four verses of, of Psalm 36. The sinners dreaded God because they were guilty and they knew God was about to judge them guilty. That's a, that's a dread of, oh no, I'm caught and I'm going down. That's not what we talk about when we're saying the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That is, God, I want, I want to exchange all of my wisdom for just a bit of yours because your wisdom is better. And I don't want to get off your path because I know it's going to lead to destruction. Everything you have for me, God, is good and I'm going to trust you. That's what it means to have the fear of God. It's the beginning of wisdom. And let me just say this, when, whenever you mess up in God's kingdom, he doesn't kick you out of the family. He takes you to the woodshed. And if it's relationships, if it's money, if it's time, he will get your attention. My favorite seminary professor, I can't remember how long he was in, in um, the hospital before he really followed the Lord. I think it was like nine months, something like that. He had broken his back. And, and he said he had been running from the Lord and, and this was way back in like the, the 30s. He broke his back and he said, in the 30s when you broke your back, you laid in the bed literally looking at the ceiling for nine months. And he finally said, okay, God, what do you want to tell me? He said, don't you think for a second God can't get your attention? through whatever it is that you have put Above him, whatever it is, whatever wisdom, he will show you his wisdom is better. And it's usually through pain. Now, if you're willing to obey God before he tells you what to do, he will always tell you what to do. What he won't do, though, is he won't, he won't tell you what to do when you say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get just a little bit of, of Matt's wisdom a little bit of Janie's wisdom and a little bit of Doug's wisdom. And then I'm gonna get your wisdom. And if your wisdom is better than Matt's and Janie's and Doug's, then maybe I'll go with yours. God says, I don't play that game. My wisdom is always better. So when you're willing to pour it out before you ever have the wisdom of God, he will always show you what to do next. And it may be through a book, it may be through a person, it may be through a counselor, a pastor, series of events where you can't explain it. It may be seven people that don't know each other that tell you exactly the same thing. And at that point, you're like, here's your sign. This is what God wants you to do, right? But let me ask right now, how many of you need wisdom? Let me just, I'm just gonna wait until everybody raises their hand. It depends on how hungry you are. Look what, look what the Bible says about needing wisdom. In James 1, 5 through 8, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but, but, when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone, not in everybody else's wisdom, not in your wisdom. Why? <laughs> he says, do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Here's why. Such people who are going around for everybody else's wisdom, trying to compare it to God's wisdom, such people should not expect to receive anything from the lord their loyalty is divided between god and the world and they are unstable in everything they do so god will not trust them with his wisdom so when i pour it all out and i say god whatever whatever you want me to do the answer is yes god says that's who i'm looking for because i can change eternity the ripples of eternity through that person that's who god wants us to become would you bow your heads father it's high time some of us stopped trusting in our wisdom And maybe we don't see it but the people around us see it the people who love us are tired of us chasing after the wind chasing after our wisdom blaming other people for our choices when in reality we have ignored you god it's time for you to get our attention it's time for us to be obedient So raise up a generation of people who say, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not turn our souls to another. May we be a generation who seeks your face. Oh God, of Jacob, way in the Old Testament, of Abraham, of Moses, of Peter, James, and John, and Paul. Let us be a people who seeks your face. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.